Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. That's when it got wheels off. We started up and we ain't gonna stop. Oh, I like you, I could not. That's when it got wheels off. Howdy y'all, Rhett Miller here. This is the 23rd iteration of Wheels Off, a conversation that I have been recording and releasing on a fortnightly basis for the better part of this year. Um, I love doing this. I love these conversations. I love getting the chance to meet and talk to brilliant creators. I've never made a penny off of this weird thing that I've done, Um, but I feel like it's one of the most worthwhile things I do now in my life, getting to pick the brains of these cool, smart, driven, funny, sensitive, generous people. It's a blast. It's valuable to me in so many ways and on so many levels that I can't help but think it has value to anyone who listens. So I guess I'm taking this moment to say thank you for listening. Um, I guess please tell people you know about it. Do the things uh, on the internet that help it to bubble up to the top of whatever search engines uh, there are that that keep the gates of media. Um, Like and subscribe, as the kids say. Uh, it is a podcast, as much as I loathe that word, <laughs> perhaps for its cultural relevance and the zeitgeist that uh, it seems to dominate these days. That's what it is. It's uh, it's a little podcast. It's a it's a half an hour usually, but to me, it's been a really big thing. And getting the opportunity to talk to these people and uh, the 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 justification for having these kind of heavy conversations and and asking questions that I might not feel comfortable asking in um, a more social setting. It's been really great, and I appreciate you listening and giving me the opportunity to keep putting it out there. All that said, this episode of Wheels Off is the longest yet. It's... uh, Carl Newman of The New Pornographers. He also records as A.C. Newman when he makes solo records. He lives about an hour north of me up in Woodstock, New York, the famed hippie artist rock and roll town. He's brilliant, as are all of these guests I've been lucky enough to have. But Carl is brilliant in a really highly verbal way, um, self-deprecating, funny. He's a fascinating 
friend. He's a really cool person to get to sit down across from. I don't know him super well. We've done a few things together over the years. And honestly, I've kind of always been a little bit, um, and this is something we addressed during our conversation, I've always been uh, intimidated by him. You know, he's, he's very much an intellectual. He's very much an artiste. He's uh, critically acclaimed in a way that I've never been, or my band has never been. He's a great Twitter follow. He's quick-witted. Uh, he, he's the most interesting man in the world in a lot of ways. Um, but you sit down across from him, and he's jarringly real and down-to-earth. So you're going to find all of this out in the course of this conversation. We sat down in the living room of his Woodstock home. Uh, his son and his wife were out of the house. It was just the two of us, along with his dog, whom you will hear from here in the course of the conversation as well. It was a lot of fun. Um, I felt like there were elements of therapy. Uh, there's so much usable information in here. Um I did get the sense as the conversation went on, much like this introduction, which is already the longest introduction I've ever recorded for a Wheels Off episode. As the conversation went on, I did get the sense that, oh, we've we've gone over my, um, you know, my in, inner limit. You know, I feel like we've we've reached the what should be the end of this Wheels Off episode. And when I started to wrap it up, Carl in a very Carl Newman sort of way, turned it around and started asking me questions. And so then it just started anew. And um, it wound up being what I think is a lot of fun. Um, I hope you enjoy it. I have the feeling if you are a fan of these wheels off conversations that I do, I have a feeling that you will enjoy it. Again, thank you so much for bearing with me in this introduction and in the ensuing conversation. Please welcome the wheels off, the great Carl Newman. Welcome to Wheels Off, Carl Newman. Hey. Hi. We are sitting in your beautiful home in Woodstock, New York, and it's a, actually a gorgeous September day when we're recording this. And, um, it is. I'm so happy to see you. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what creative project are you working on right now, and how is it inspiring you? Well, you know, I just, I just finished um, a single for Record Store Day. Which was a, a leftover song from our album that didn't make it. Would it be, this will be A.C. Newman or? No, no, Pornos. Pornographers. Okay, good. And so, yeah, I, I finished a song. We didn't finish one on the record. And then I did a new one. Which was, I'm trying, to, I'm trying not to be as precious about songs. And I decided I would just write a completely new song and record it myself and put it out on the B side of the single and call it the demo. <laughs> like I'm not, not even, not even, no, not even knowing how close, like what I think the finished version is going to be. I just thought I'd put like demo in brackets at the end of it. But I, I thought, I thought put it out as a B side of a seven inch and not, don't be overly concerned about like, if you want to change it, we'll change it. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's that version. Like other, other people do that. So so that's coming out in whatever record store day is, end of November. I'm, I'm actually trying to just write more new pornographer songs. I, 
I have a lot. I have a lot I need to finish. Well, that's a weird <laughs> thing to say because the record is just about to drop, right? Normally, yeah. aren't you in full publicity mode at this point? But it's... Um, I mean, that's... I mean, I think that's coming. I mean, I've done some interviews, but a lot of interviews, because there's not much print anymore, mm-hmm. there's no more like, oh, it's two months before the record and you have 10 interviews. Long It's, time. um, yeah, like if some, you know, website wants to interview you, you can do it a week. You can even do it day, you know, day yeah. of release. Like, what does it matter? Especially- Isn't it funny? Like, they used to not let us put the record out for months after we'd finish it because of the long lead time that Vanity Fair. And they Fair. still do it. <laughs> yeah. No, but now it has to do with vinyl. Oh. I, I think I, because vinyl needs a big lead time. Just because the, there's only so many vinyl presses and you have to get in the queue? Yeah. How weird. Um, like, I think the last, maybe a lot of people have done it. Um, LCD Sound System didn't... I think when he finished his record, he just put it out almost immediately. And then the vinyl came out when it came out. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I, 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 wish, I wish you could do that more. Because you, you read about, uh, you know, bands in the 60s, and they would record, a, or even in the 70s, they'd record a song in January and it'd come out in February. Yeah. And, I like they drive and, the acetate to the radio station. It's still warm. And- or I, I was I was reading about uh, listening to a lot of Roxy music and reading about them. You know, I think the first like the first album came out in a February, March. They recorded Virginia Plain. Virginia Plain came out in April. Like <laughs> like that 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 stuff kind of blows my mind. It, and that's the kind of thing that's inspired me to just keep working. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of when you finish a record, a lot of people tell you like, "Oh no, don't, don't do anything else. You gotta, you got this record to concentrate on." And I think Roxy Music put out fucking five albums in the space of three years, or you know maybe three and a half, four years. And I think people would people would think it was weird if we put out another record next year. And I'm thinking, why not? Why not? Do you remember there was a time when if you went away for three years between albums or four years between albums, were, it, it was tantamount to breaking up or whatever. Yes. And now it's de rigueur, right? Like that's what everybody does. Or, or, or yeah, the, you have the classic uh, <laughs> like LCD breaks up and they're back, <laughs> but they're back before anybody can really. The only reason anybody would know they break up is because they made such a big deal about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they made a movie that said we're breaking up in a final concert. But then the the record comes out four or five years later, which is like pretty normal. Yeah, <laughs> but it's kind of absurd that that's where we're at. Like, like I've thought for years that it, it's interesting how music seems to have slowed. Like, te- as technology speeds up, music has slowed down. Not not all of it, but like people longer time in between records, and the evolution of music is slowed down like think think of like 1960 to 1970 think of what happened there or think of from 1970 to 1980 and then think of like 2010 to 2020 you're like well hip-hop got a little better i guess <laughs> you know but every everything else is like um i guess uh, there's country rap now um you know like not yeah. much it's everything's very 
Everything's very subtle. I wonder if it was that there was a big void to fill, like there was no rock and roll, and then all of a sudden we had to like come up with all these different kinds of rock and roll, and there's quantum leaps every mm-hmm. half century or half decade, and then here we are now, and there's just so much music. You're like, okay, I guess what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. It's funny. I loved hearing you talk about the, the song that came out early, um, Secret Knock. Or Surprise Knock. Surprise Knock. Sorry. The, that just got dropped from the pornographer's. And you're talking about trying, like, going back to that and saying, let's treat this like a, what year, like a 2003 <laughs> new pornographer song or yeah, something? Or like, or, or like, yeah, 2005. Yeah. That was the, uh, yeah, there was, there was another version of that song that I thought was good when I was really into it. And occasionally I listen to it and go, oh, this one was good. But <laughs> at some point I thought, like, what if we just, I, I don't know, something, I was in Vancouver and we were recording and I thought, let's, let's try it. A little differently. It sounds great. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think I've always. It's it's hard not to be repetitive, you yeah. know, because everybody has their their style. But I've always been very aware of that. So after Twin Cinema, I remember thinking, God, I, I, we can't do any more of this. <laughs> like I like I, I felt like I felt like those songs on that album were like. I felt like we we can't. It's a pretty perfect more. record. I mean, is that is that why you're saying that? Like, you felt like you really nailed this exact thing, and you didn't want to go back and retread the same ground, or did you? I feel like- that I, I don't think I that we nailed it, but we'd done it. Okay, you know, and it was, you know, there, there's diverse songs on that record, but there was a certain kind of song which inevitably inevitably becomes our most popular song. Yeah, are the ones that are like dun, 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 those driving things, and we thought. How many times can we do this? That's so funny. Because I, I felt like our, you know, we had big songs on the first record that were that sounded like that. On the second record, like Laws of Change, and then when Cinema had like Use It and whatever else, like the song for like Cinema. fan favorites. Yeah, great and, songs. And I thought, you know, I wanted to move away from that. And, That's so funny because that awareness of oneself can go in two ways. And hearing you describe it. It's so funny to me because I keep thinking like how easy it would be for you to listen to those records, see the reaction in the audience every night and think, all right, I figured this out. Now I'm going to do this every time. Like I, heard, <laughs> I, I worked with George Draculius who had worked with The Cult mm-hmm. and he had a song that The Cult was doing on a later record, like a third record song or whatever. And, um, and it, Ian wasn't able to hit the notes. Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I don't know. Why don't you guys just, you know, move it down two steps? And they were like, our audience expects our songs to be G, C, and D. <laughs> and like they had figured it out to the point where they knew the key that the song had to be in. And um, like how easy would it just be to say, okay, yes, I finally figured out something that everybody likes. But no, you're saying to you like, okay, well now I've done that. I got to do something completely different. And it didn't, you know, I was, I've just been going through old hard drives mm-hmm. and I dug out some of the songs that were outtakes from Challengers, the record after Twin Cinema. And they were inevitably these songs that were kind of closer to Twin Cinema, but I still I, I listen to them now, and my reaction was, "Yeah, I was right to leave these off." Uh, like, like, like the, these these songs just sound like me spinning my wheels. And did any of them seem like something that might find a new life in a later project? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> not even, uh, not even. I mean, not that they're terrible, but I think I've already got about 50 better ideas waiting to be <laughs> made reality. 
Um, there's one song that I could see doing something else with, but I don't know. We, we will see. It's so funny. But I don't know. I, I felt... I think I've, I've, I've always felt like I have to follow, you know, what what do the classic artists do? Like, think it's not that I want to be Bowie, but you think it's somebody like that or any classic artist. They kind of evolved. And it has to be... It's just a... It's just an instinct. Like at some point, I remember making challengers and, and some of the songs were just only sounding good to me when I stripped them down. Like maybe they were more rock. And then when I pulled everything away, I went like, well, this, this is what the song should be. And, and, and it had nothing to do with, I mean, maybe there was some part of me subconsciously thinking, don't, don't make another use it. Don't make another sing me Spanish techno. But it was just I was writing these songs, and when I worked on them, I went, "Yes, it should be, it should be this." God, well, I, I wonder. I, I wouldn't want this to sound overly congratulatory, but maybe that's the difference between art and just trying to like cash in and make more money because you're trying to be an artist and always challenge yourself or challenge your audience, right? Um, yeah, I suppose so. But I also, all along, I've thought. I had no idea what I was doing when I made the record that made us popular. <laughs> and all I was doing was trying to make something that I thought was cool. So I thought, why not stick with that? In- instead, of, instead of looking at the thing that was popular and going, imitate that, I thought, why not just... Like, I know what I was trying to do when I made that. I was just trying to make something that I thought was good. So logically, why don't I just keep doing that? Because I, I think... Uh, banjo! Gosh, should I put him away? No, 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 he's good. That's part of the thing. That's Banjo, and Banjo's a really sweet dog. He is, but he barks at everything. Have you ever heard of a dog doing that? You, you just said the sentence that might be my favorite sentence of all of these things, where you said, I had no idea what I was doing when I made the record that made us popular, or whatever. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. And I think that's so perfect, right? And so then your reaction to that isn't to say, oh, I accidentally figured it out, and let's just keep going down this thing, but it's to... To replicate that, uh, um, what's how, what would how would you describe that that feeling of not knowing what you're doing? It's just innocence <laughs> or naivete, or just or just thinking do I, do, I, do I or just do I like this? Yeah, like like I never I didn't grow up in a family of musicians. I didn't pick up a guitar until I was 18. So I think I still approach songwriting as a fan, and I think if I'm good at it. It's because I have good taste. Yeah. It's because I like I like good music, or at least I think I have good music taste. And so I I take that into making record. I I listen to the song and go like, do I think this is good? <laughs> you know. And I'm sure I've listened to bands in the past that have just started spinning their wheels and thought this band is spinning their wheels. Like, this is just a bad version of an earlier record. So I thought, I don't want to be that bad. Totally. But then, come back to what started this, is that so many years have passed. Like, Twin Cinema was 14 years ago. So now I'm thinking, you know, and God, Mass Romantic was like 19 years ago, or 18, 19 years ago. So now I'm thinking, yeah, now's the time. Why the hell not? (laughs) <laughs> now, like now, I can now I can dig back, and I've been thinking of that. Like, 
man, I should just write a song that's just a full-on rip-off of the song Mass Romantic, because no one, no one 18 years later would accuse you of spinning your wheels yeah. when you took a two-decade break in between shuffle, writing upbeat shuffles. <laughs> it's a full generation. <laughs> exactly. It's for, the, it's for the kids who haven't been born yet. Yeah. So you, so you didn't start super young. Like this was something that came to you because you loved music, and then you sort of back backed into it. I don't mean to characterize it, but I, I kind of want to know, like, how did you wind up doing this, and how was there a moment, and at what age were you? Was there an epiphany when you realized this is what you were going to be? But I, I don't know. I, mean, I think the epif- the epiphany probably came a couple years into the new pornographer's career. <laughs> When I thought, holy shit, maybe I, could it be I could do this? Uh, well, I remember my friend from high school named Marcel Vanier, a couple months after graduation. A great sh- name. Yeah, showed me some chords. And I think he showed me how to play Gloria. And then, you know, like E, A, and D. And, uh, and then I had a Beatles easy guitar songbook. So I picked up a lot of chords from that. Um, in like a couple of years after that, I started like randomly jamming with friends. And then a bunch of people I knew who worked at a record store named A&B Sound, including my best friend Warren, were going to start this band called Superconductor. They had the name. The, 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 a name they, in classic, uh, classic 1990 style, a name picked because it was so terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they they overheard somebody say Superconductor, great name for a band, and they all laughed because they thought it was such a terrible name. And so they said, "Let's start a band called Superconductor." And then it was one of those bands where anybody was allowed to join. Like, who wants to be in Superconductor? So we ended up with six guitar players, and that ended up, ended up being that ended up being our thing. Like we were we were like that was like our gimmick. Like we became like a popular. <laughs> Vancouver band. And we ended up getting right at the moment we were going to uh, give it up because, come on, how much longer can we do this joke? Um, we got signed, putting up air quotes, yeah. to Boner Records in San Francisco, which is home of the Melvins and Steel Pole Bathtub. Wow. And that was kind of a turning point for me because I realized, okay, somebody wants to put a record. So I guess we should make a record. And so that started me thinking, huh, okay. I guess I, I guess I should try and do this for real. Yeah. Like we were just, it was just like somebody makes up a riff and I'm screaming. Oh, and that's another thing. I became the singer just because nobody else would do it. <laughs> like it was a bunch of guys just jamming in a practice space and one day I just put down my guitar and started yelling and that was, well... I guess he's the singer. That's so funny to me because I think of you as someone who has a really, not not only like a really beautiful voice, but like I feel like you've got like a really deft way with singing and hitting intervals and like you're a good singer. Is that not something you ever self-identified as? Well, I learned how to do it. Okay. I mean, I mean, that, I, mean I bring up Superconductor just because like that was the beginning of it. Yeah. Like that. And we did a show... Um, where like you know all your friends show up and there was there's like two or three hundred people there and I think I got the bug. I mean, of course that would be followed by a lot of shows where there weren't people there. But 
I walked off stage thinking like, like what just happened? Like, I feel like I'd crossed, um, I'd crossed into another realm. Like the line between audience and stage seemed like a line that I dare not cross. And I had just crossed it and it went well. And so I think, I, I didn't think this is, this is my life pursuit, but I thought I like doing this. Yeah. Like, I can't think of much that I really care about, you know, but I like this. And I had no delusions that I was going to get rich or even successful. And then, not long after that, um, I, I started really getting, I started going back and started getting really into, like, old Dionne Warwick songs. Like, I had Dionne Warwick's greatest hits, and I became obsessed with Backrack and David. Like, I thought, like, these, you know, like... It just struck me like, these aren't cheesy songs. These are just brilliantly written, weird songs. And then that, led, I, my friend Mark Zabo was the real muso. And he pointed me in the direction of Jimmy Webb. And then I discovered all that stuff, which was even weirder. And that was even more influential. And, and then, of course, like Pet Sounds. You know, I grew up doing Endless Summer, but... I'd never really listened to that. So I got into Pet Sounds and then Odyssey and Oracle, discovered that. Oh, so, 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 and then that was my f- first real band, Zampano, where I was trying to... It seems absurd now because I couldn't really play. I'd never really written songs, but I'd made this massive leap. Like, like I wasn't... I wasn't the guy who like learned three chords and now he wanted to be Dylan. I was like the guy that knew six chords and wanted to be Brian Wilson and Burt Backrack. And and I didn't know how to do it. So when I listened back to those Zimpano records, I just think like it's like, oh, like we were just reaching for something we could not attain because we just didn't know how to do it yet. And then but we got signed to Sub Pop, which just seemed absurd. Uh Maybe that audaciousness was was a, like a jet propellant. Like maybe that helped you go from, like you got to skip a whole level or something. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it it was a good exercise. Like, like I look back at Superconductor on Zampano, and even if I don't want to listen to the records, I'm I'm kind of proud of what where it was coming from because. God, listening to Superconductor records from beginning to end in chronological order, it's a pretty tough listen. <laughs> I mean, it has moments where you can see where I was going, but a lot of it just, I clearly just didn't care. I mean, but in a good way. Like, we just, we just thought, like, what if we do this? Like, let's do, let's do a show where we stand on our amps. Let's do a show where we stand behind our amps. Like, it was all kind of conceptual. And then Zampano just felt like growing up in public like it was the 90s like it felt like in the early mid 90s like doing something that was indebted to something that was like kind of you know wimpy yeah (laughs) or or fey seemed like a pretty punk thing to do and people thought we must be kidding like we got sometimes well nobody bought the records and we didn't get much press but I think some people thought we were a joke and we, they wanted to like, lump us in with that jokey 90s lounge stuff. 
you know, yeah, like, I'm trying to think like, of like Love Jones or, yes. or yeah. Squirrel Nut Zippers or, or just, just stuff that was like kind of tongue in cheek. Ironic. Yeah. Like they thought, how could these guys be, I, I, I almost want to say Combustible Edison, but I love Combustible Edison and they are friends and they're awesome. But yeah, they didn't, nobody knew what to make of us. I mean, we, didn't, we did have our fans, but not many of them. So then, you know, Zampano imploded. And then I think about a year or two later, I just had the idea, the concept of the new pornographers. Like I met Dan Behar mm-hmm. and I thought, this guy is good. In fact, I think the first Destroyer show was him opening for Zampano in like 1996. And just, you know, and I met Nico and nobody knew she was a singer. Right, she was very, drumming at the time, right? Yeah, she was like a drummer in a punk band. And, and the fact that nobody knew that she was a singer, and she's Nico with that voice. I know. It's, yeah, we were, we were just listening to the... We were just driving back from Mass Mocha yesterday and listening to the Case Lang Veers. And I, I should be used to it by now, but I was listening to this record, and it's like, Nico made a fucking record with Katie Lang. <laughs> and her voice sits in there with Katie Lang, and you're not thinking... She's not as good as Katie Lang. Yeah. Like, like she's she's in there, and like her voice is as good as Katie Lang's. Yeah. Um, and I remember when people first heard her singing, Mike Legwood, she was in Zampano, said to me like, "Hey, have you ever heard Nico sing?" And I said, "No." And he said, "She's weirdly good." Like it, like it was a little perplexing. Like finding out, like <laughs> your friend had a superpower. Yeah, it's like, do you ever notice Nico has X-ray vision? Yeah, really, huh? <laughs> Which it kind of is a superpower. Her voice. Yeah, um, I, I I always compare it to like a like a pitcher who can like has a hundred and twenty mile an hour fastball. You know, maybe they're not all strikes, but when she hits, yeah. So at any point during there, did you study music? I mean, mm. beyond just as a fan and a listener? And... No, no. Okay. Not at all. Because um, it's funny, a lot of what you're saying sort of seems like it's kind of better not to know. Like, it's better not to be too calculated about all this stuff and to kind of go in and follow not... your instincts more than that. But, uh, but a lot of it, I find, is... it's. I think I've put in the 10,000 hours. Yeah, sure. <laughs> not that that makes me a genius, but... I think all the things that I want to pick up from music, I think I've, I've, I've absorbed them. So there's, I've, I've realized I, there are things I do that are very strange musically, but it's not me. It's not me as like a music professor going, well, this record, I'm going to be dotted eight notes and uh, it's going to be a seven, four <laughs> time, but I'll, I'll accidentally do that. Yeah. I'll just be thinking, okay, what do I want to do? What sounds cool to me? And then it's only later when I'm sitting in the studio or sitting with the band that I realize, oh, that's very interesting what I did there. <laughs> like, but, but me, like, I'll, I'll think a song as well. It's just, it's just two chords. It's just me going back and forth between these two chords. But then somebody's trying to learn it and going, well, it's two chords, but they always change in strange places. <laughs> and th- it goes to this chord for only... Two beats, and then, but then the next time it goes for four beats, and things that I don't mean to do, but I realize, oh, that's that's interesting, uh, you know. And sometimes I go back and listen to old songs and think, like, 
wow, this is a pretty sophisticated piece of music. Yeah. But when I was making it, I was, I mean, I knew I was trying to do something interesting, but I didn't know how sophisticated it was. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know if learning, you know, more about music would have necessarily made me better. Maybe it would have made you worse. I mean, who knows? That's sort of what I always wonder. Uh, so I, I find you to be a super interesting follow, as I think a lot of people do on Twitter, primarily, right? Um, it seems like you have mastered that skill, as weird of a, <laughs> as weird of a world as that is. You live in I, it pretty well. I don't, I don't know if I have. <laughs> well, I, I, anyway, I, I, I always think that you're. You're so spot on in there. You make good arguments. You bring up interesting stuff. I'm, you know, and that's such a barren wasteland. But I, I guess my point is, I don't see you as being somebody that has a lot of, um, and this could be completely wrong, but just has a lot of self doubt. I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily see you as someone who wrestles with demons a lot or has like well, imposter syndrome. Or, no, I, I do. How do, I, how do I think, you deal with that? I think I have it. I think I, well, because I don't know what other people have. I always assume I have it worse than anybody. <laughs> like, like, like sometimes I hear people, because I, you know, I've struggled with anxiety and depression, and I think, I look at other people and go, how did this person, because a lot of people talk about anxiety, depression, and I think, how did they become such a highly functioning person? Like, I was just watching this video of Bill Hader talking about his anxiety. Have you seen that? Yeah. And, and I'm watching it, and I'm thinking... You're talking about your anxiety. How the fuck did you do live TV for 10 years? It's like, I feel like I'm going to pass out when I have to sing one song on Letterman. And you were fucking on Saturday Night Live. But I realized it's, it's not that simple. And, and I realized, like you just said, that, oh, people think I'm an incredibly high-functioning person, even though I don't, I don't think of myself that way. That's funny. So is that something that you feel like you've had to wrestle with? Like this sort of self, is it a self-image thing? Or is it like your place in the world? I mean, yeah, I definitely, like I've never been a super confident person. That's Um, so funny. I would not have guessed that at all. I think I, like, I think I, I was a really shy kid growing up. I think, Maybe I've just become confident. To some degree, just you get older and you become confident mm-hmm. in who you are. Like, you know, like, 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 like going back to that that Bill Hader thing where he was mm-hmm. talking about uh, the anxiety. It's just this, it's just this guy that hangs around on your shoulder, and you're like, oh yeah, that's my, that's my anxiety and my depression. It's like <laughs> just, just ignore him. Yeah, it's like he's an asshole, but. Yeah, you just you just you just carry carry it around with you and try not to try not to uh let it control you too much. Like I have this I have this thing called misophonia where like if people are eating really loud, it really it really bothers me and like to get this fight or flight response and I think I went through a ton of my life thinking I was completely alone or crazy. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh it's a ton of people have this. When you see, oh, Sarah Silverman has this. Like, it's 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 not unique. And I realized, like, it's it's better to just talk about it. Like, 
like if I mention it and say, oh, yeah, it might seem strange, but I, I have this thing that other people would hear you talk about it. I read you talking about it and that might help somebody because somebody else can go, oh, I, I have this too. And I, I think it's the same thing with anxiety or depression. If somebody sees like, oh, this person that I admire has the same problems. And they seem invincible and they yeah. seem so cool. That's uh, funny. Well, it's, I, I hesitate to even bring this up, but you know, you and I live about an hour away from each other and have for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I've just, I've always thought you're, you're so intelligent. I, the new pornographers <laughs> but, are so but I'm incredible. Not that <laughs> oh, but I'm telling you, and I just, and I think the, the, the AC Newman records are so brilliant. And, and I, when you moved up here, I thought, oh, I'm going to see him all the time. I'm going to make sure. And then you never see anybody. <laughs> we never see anybody because we live in the country. But part of it was, was I kept telling myself this story where, well, Carl probably, he's probably, he's probably so much cooler than me. And he probably, <laughs> he probably thinks that my like dumb redneck band or whatever. And I make up this whole thing where like, there's no way you're going to like me. And no, I, I think the same thing. Isn't that insane though? I'm, I'm not saying like it's insane that so you wouldn't like me, but, but. You know, I made that up out of whole cloth because I don't know because there's something. No, wrong I with I do the same thing. I remember around 2007, right around the time when I'm Ockerville. I forget like what was the Ockerville River. Yeah, the stage names record. And I really loved it. You know, and they were like this cool band. I absolutely loved it. And I'm and I remember like, um, you know for whatever reason, walking up to Will somewhere, like in Europe, at some show. But in the back of my mind, it's like, oh, he, he, he thinks I'm a hack. Like, oh. like you know, like, like he, he probably, you know, he's in this cool band, and I'm this, that asshole from New Pornographers. And then, you know, we got along, and then, like, six months later, we toured together, and we became, like, fast friends. You know, in fact, he, he, he and Beth were, like, living in our cottage for, like, six months last year. And I thought, like, but my go-to place... Even though we like met and we immediately just became fast, long time friends, like the go to place is like, oh, everybody hates me. God. And I, I still feel that way. Like I still look at like um like anybody that I don't know, I think, oh, they they hate me. Like 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 if I didn't know Dan Behar, <laughs> like like if he wasn't like a uh an you know, a dear friend of mine for twenty years, I would probably think Oh, that destroyer guy would probably think I'm an asshole. <laughs> you know, he's he's such cool, such cool. All the hipsters love him. I'm sure he doesn't like me. I would probably think the same thing if I didn't know Nico. Or you know, yeah. and I I think that about I think that about about ton of bands. I'm you know, oh those animal collective guys. They probably think I'm an asshole. <laughs> Angel that- Olsen probably thinks I'm a fucking loser. If she knows who I am at all. Um, and that can't be just musicians or artists that do that. I'm sure that that's well, it's it's that's that's universal. just the, that's just imposter syndrome in, you know, yeah, full, full flight. So maybe it's just look at it and see it for what it is and push through it. I guess, like you did with Will from Ockerville, just push through it and figure out like that you're both human beings. Well, I mean, for the most part, you don't have to deal with it because like it don't. So many people you're never yeah. going to meet. Yeah, and if you did meet them, I'm sure you would you would get along like that's Yeah, you know that's that that that's that's the extent of it. And then tw- Twitter makes things uh, very weird because 
on Twitter, you're, you're very aware of like somebody not being aware of you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, like when you write the famous author in your neighborhood and or, yeah, yeah. Or if like, you know, if you were like writing, <clears throat> you know, just writing Patton Oswalt about some, you know, it's like whatever you would write to him. And then he's like, nope, did not address it. <laughs> did, not, did not answer, does not follow me. Patton Oswalt does not care for me. <laughs> like, like it, it is, it can be carefully measured. Look, I sent this tweet, no response, does not follow, clearly does not like me. Yeah. <laughs> or does not know I exist, which is even worse. Um. Not, 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 I mean, I'm throwing his name out there just because it popped into my head. Uh, uh, but, you know, or any, you could put any. Although it would be great to be friends with Pat now as well. But, you know, why? Why? Why have dreams that won't come true? No, that could come true. <laughs> I'll make that happen. He hates me. <laughs> he hates me. Um, uh, no, I... Uh, it's right. I, I always, uh, I always think like it's it's a it's amazing that I've I've gotten anywhere. I've I've felt crushing self doubt like constantly. And when when I'm making music, I almost that's when I feel like I might be manic depressive <laughs> because the, uh, the the process of writing is so it's so up and down. It's it's like this is great. Yes, this is great. This is awesome. And then the next day, no, it sucks. And I'm sad. I'm so sad. I want to give up. Yeah. And then go back in there and go, no, no, keep working on it. And then you go, no, it's great. And it's like, no, it's not. It's, it's, so, it's so bad that it's making me sad. It's probably nice you can't just shred a piece of music like you could a piece of paper because there's probably days when you would just throw away all the songs you've written and the next day you wish you had them back. Well, there, there, was, a, there was a song on our record real bruisers called wide eyes mm -hmm. where i have a very clear memory of sitting there playing it like the the initial track just on an acoustic with the click track and this feeling halfway through where i wanted to give up and stop like i remember being halfway through and in my mind i was going this sucks oh this 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 really sucks and i and i just kept going and i, and I finished it and i don't know maybe we added a couple of things to it and i went oh, good <laughs> But uh, like this is good. But and my half an hour later, I thought, oh, this is actually pretty good. But while I was doing it, I could barely, like, I was this close to just going, forget it. Like, the, like this, like this song, is, and I and I m might never have come back to it. And you'll always remember that moment of like abject misery in the middle of yeah. Creating well, but I something. just kept going, and then I realized like that is such an important part of it. Is even if you think. Things aren't going well. You just keep doing what you're doing, because you because you don't know. Yeah. At that that moment, you don't know. It might be good, but you don't know. But you're even, even when you're even when you're feeling misery and self doubt. If you keep just plowing through it, you might do something great. And also realizing that if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Like move on to the next thing. Like, like realizing that you don't like something is is an important part of the process. Sure, it's like a, it's like a relationship where it's like this relationship can't be fixed. We need to break up. Yeah, you know? 
Uh, well, it's a numbers game, right? For anybody that creates anything, you're, you're not going to, hundred percent of your shit you make, is it going to be great mm-hmm. or even good? Yeah. But you got to push through the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Boy, it's funny. It's like you, you, it's not even, it's not even like you don't know. It's almost like there's a part of you that's broken telling you the wrong thing, telling you it's bad. You yeah. Know? Like the Bill Hader's angel on his shoulder, his devil telling him everything sucks. And that's kind of, and that's both frightening and inspiring to know that, oh, I might be sitting on something <laughs> like absolutely classic, you know, yeah. but, but, I'm, but I might be telling myself that it sucks. Uh, and not letting it come out. Hey, Banjo. Why don't you sit over here? Hey, Banjo. Like, can you even imagine the voices in um, Brian Wilson's (laughs) head as he was making, like, the greatest music of the 20th century? I mean, I I imagine there were moments where he hated what he was doing, thought it was garbage. I mean, I'm just imagining, but... I know, it's... uh... It's hard to believe it. It's, I mean, there there are so many, there are so many versions of that, <clears throat> or not music, but you think of somebody like David Foster Wallace, who was Ugh. a genius, a genius, but it just made him want to kill himself. Yeah, or David Kurt, Berman last week. Yeah, yeah, which is uh, heartbreaking. Yeah, it's very, it's very, very heartbreaking. It reminds me of Scott Miller from Game Theory and Loud Family. Yeah. That was another one that, that really, really got me. Like, like the Scott Millers and David Berman's feel very close to home because they feel like somebody that you, you know. Yeah. Like, they're, like, they're like us. Yeah. Like Scott Miller, I, I loved Game Theory in high school. Mm-hmm. And looking back, I think that those songs like, had an influence on how I would later write songs, even if I didn't even know it. And after he died, I went back and read this, this book he did that was like all the like little essays about songs he liked through the years. And I found out he was like a big pornographer's fan and I wanted to start crying. I was like, I never knew. Yeah, you kind of wish you could go to those people. Like the David, I think about David Foster Wallace all the time, but any of those people... Uh, David Berman, the week before I heard about him, I had gotten a text from um, an actor friend, super funny, super successful guy, texted me a a lyric from the song Dallas, the Silver Jew song Dallas. Mm -hmm. You know, we're just going back and forth for like the afternoon, just thinking about how great that guy was, how great, Mm -hmm. you know, I just think you wish you could go to those people and say, hey, look, out of the blue, all these people, unbeknownst to you, love you. But it does, and that's great. Uh... I mean, it, but maybe it wouldn't. It's 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 sad that it doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah. And I I think about things like that, and I think it makes me grateful that for all my self doubt and struggles with anxiety or depression, I've never thought about killing myself. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like maybe I've thought like I'm very I'm feeling very fucked up and I'm not enjoying life at all right now. But I've never thought of killing myself, and I thought, well, that's that's something very good. Yeah. Because I, I, because I think I can't conceive, I can't conceive of getting to that moment, which which makes me realize that I I clearly don't understand, like whatever what I think is depression, however 
bad it is, it's, it's not that bad. Thank God. Yeah. So that's everybody. I mean, everybody feels different. Um, I mean, I mean, I, so I have to look around my life a lot of the time and think it's really easy. <laughs> like, like I, th- I think that's one thing that helps me out is yeah. like, like, I don't think I could deal. I think I would probably have a lot more depression and anxiety if I had a stressful life, but I don't, you know, like, like I'm here in my, I'm here in my mellow home in Woodstock and my job is to write, not like, like that, you know, sometimes I might get worried about money, but it's money worries that are nothing like anybody else's yeah. money worries. Sure. You know, it's like, you might get stressed, but then you start doing the math. Let's okay, okay, let's do the math. Okay, what's the, yeah. let's go through all the worst case scenarios. A lot of people can't make their rent. A, a lot of people are living month to month, and we're not living month to month. So I have to be grateful for that. I mean, that, that's, that's another thing that I try to look at to get perspective. It's like when I'm feeling imposter syndrome, I'm thinking... I'm useless, I can't do this. I think, well, look at your life. Logically, if you're going to look at your life logically, you can do this. You know, because people have been giving you money. Like empirical evidence. Yes. You're like you're like money has been paid to you through the years <laughs> because you write songs and make music. And so therefore, you have, you know, you have something I know a lot of people would say, well, a lot of people that really suck are hugely popular. But I don't really buy that. Yeah, even those people have something that somebody yeah, wants. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, I'm a big Nickelback defender. It's like, you don't have to, like... Yeah, it's like, I don't listen to Nickelback records, but I can see why people like them. Mm-hmm. No, like, I understand, like, what, what the appeal is there. It's like, I'm also not a big Grand Funk Railroad fan, <laughs> but I see... I see why, you know, people were into them. I did not wake up this morning thinking we would talk about Grand Funk Railroad. <laughs> <That makes laughs> well, let's just leave it there. <laughs> okay, so now... Mark Farner unit. With this beautiful life and this beautiful house and all the 10,000 hours times however many multiples thereof, um, if you could go back... Well, no, not if you could go back. If you met in today's world a 21-year-old version of yourself, what... Um, what advice would you give yourself? But living in today's world, sadly, with all the bullshit. <laughs> Not the 90s. I don't know. I don't... It would be much easier if I just got to, like, uh, talk to my 21-year-old self and tell him about what was going to happen. It's like, you'll never fucking believe this. <laughs> like, what? Okay, this is your house. This is your wife. You got on Letterman. Really? Yeah, you were on six times. No fucking way. <laughs> I I don't I don't know what it, what advice. <laughs> um, I feel like asking uh, what advice I would give my young self is not that different from asking me what I would tell myself right now. Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, except except just just do it. You know, that I think that would that would be the uh, the big thing. Like, just sit down and make yourself do it. 
Do you think the plan? And, 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 and I tell him like, you're not going to be, you're not going to be very good for quite a while. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that's, I think that's a hard thing to say to anybody. If I had to sit down with 15 year olds that were writing songs, I'd say, okay, maybe some of you are Brian Wilson and they're geniuses, but probably not. You're probably writing songs right now that aren't that good. Yeah. I mean, like they're good for a 15 year old, but you have to get there, you know? I mean, like, look, like, look at Bowie. You know, ever try listening to like Bowie's music from 1966? The Laughing Gnome. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not. Yeah. yeah, it's not exactly <laughs> good. No, but he had to go through that, and then three years later, he made Space Oddity, and he'd arrived, and it was like, okay, it only it only took you a few years to turn into like one of the greatest rock stars of all time, one of the greatest songwriters and lyricists, and. You know, that's what I, I also had sat down before soundcheck years ago with some teenagers of making music and for whatever reasons, one thing I felt like I had to say to them was like, success will not make you happy. Like, like learn how to be happy. Like have, don't have your happiness be contingent on something. Don't think, oh, I'll be happy when this happens. Mm. Like, when, as soon as this happens, I'll be happy. It's like, no, figure out how to be happy just who you are at that moment. And success will be great, you know. And, but if you're miserable and you succeed, you're still going to be miserable. So, like, don't think. And I, I wasn't trying to say it as a, a real downer. I was just saying, like, just try and be happy about what you're doing, like, in the moment. And don't, don't try and strive for some future future place where everything's going to be great god i love that advice that's really i mean because it's independent so much of our self-image and self-worth is tied up in how well we do or how successful we are and yeah to be independently happy makes any success you have then a bonus and and that's always been what i've wanted like when everybody would ask me like what do you want i think well what else could anybody want aside from happiness like, isn't, like, what is, like, all these things in the world, they're part of that, <laughs> you know? If somebody is saying, like, oh, I want, <clears throat> I want a billion dollars and I want to get laid every day, well, that would be happiness, right? <laughs> or <laughs> that would, would it? That would bring you happiness. I'm assuming that's why you want it, you know? <laughs> or, you know, even serial killers, I'm sure, do it because it brings them some sort of happiness. Yeah. Maybe I'm completely wrong there. <laughs> I had a heavy moment the other day. It was uh, my birthday the other day, and um, and the kids brought me out a cake, and I was a bonfire in my backyard, and I had a bunch of friends around, and they all sang. And then I was supposed to blow out the candles, and I looked at them, and I thought, okay, I'm supposed to make a wish. And I couldn't think of anything to wish for. Like, it was this crazy fucking moment where I was like, I don't, I don't need anything. Like, this is <laughs> it. Like, what else even is there? Like it would be greedy to say I want something else beyond this. That was that was a crazy moment. It's I find it I find it strange to just be sitting in a life and realizing it. Okay, so this is it. I think I think you spend a lot of your life just trying to get somewhere, mm-hmm. and I, and I, I still am. You know, I'm still making music and I'm still trying. You know, to make a living from it, but. I, I can kind of understand the uh, whatever it's called, 
when men get to that middle age, yeah, <laughs> what yeah. is it? Midlife crisis. The midlife crisis. Because <laughs> uh, they realize, like, also this is this is it. Like, not, like now, not that I I want to do it, but I can kind of understand if if a guy has just lived like a sort of boring life, you know, went to school, got married, went into his job, and then all of a sudden, twenty years later, was going like, what, you know, like, what, where am I? Yeah. I could see why you'd go buy a Porsche, you know, and. <laughs> Um, is that even how you say it or is it Porsche uh, <laughs> you know that's a great question I think that speaks to <laughs> Porsche. I feel, I feel like when I said that I was like no like Porsche de Rossi Porsche. no I think it's Porsche doesn't it Porsche, um, Porsche. Uh, yeah but it's, it's a strange feeling to just to look around and go oh, yeah this is this is it like I'm this, this is my life like I'm I'm here now and you know, and it's like, yeah, this is a good, this is a good place to be. But it's strange to realize, like, yeah, this is like even 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 if you might be bored in your life, a lot of the time, it's like you you couldn't couldn't deal with losing it. Yeah, like like recently, I've I've been describing parenthood as like a little bit like Stockholm syndrome. It's <laughs> it's like yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah. This, Kids totally got me. Like, I love my, my, my life. Re- 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 you know, revolves around this kid. But it's like, and sometimes it drives me crazy. But, but I need him. Yeah, <laughs> stuck. I'm, like, I'm, I'm screwed without him. You know. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. Okay, well, I feel like I could talk to you all day. I really appreciate the time you've given me, and I feel like so much of what you said was so useful. And I, I just, I, 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 I hope so. It's I, a. <laughs> I find you super thoughtful. And was, it, was, there, was there anything about the songwriting process? Yeah. I mean, it, that's, that's all it is, right? I mean, writing songs is just a part of being a human being, processing what we do. Wait, wait, but, but what? I mean, now it's me interviewing. But where did, how do your songs start? Because <laughs> um, everybody, I mean, like, like, like the most common difference is like, do you start with lyrics? Do you start with music? It's funny. People ask that all the time, and I never feel like I have a good answer for it. I almost always have a line of lyric that comes to me that has within it a certain meter or like a, you know, like a, a rhythm to it. And, uh, and it's malleable. Like, you know, so much... It's funny, I listen to your music and, I, and you do so much that's really straight. And, and obviously you've got really great swingy songs too. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I'm in a band that's primarily swingy stuff. Mm-hmm. And, but so many of the songs that I, that I really love are really like straight dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun mm-hmm. kind of 16th note stuff. And I just... Anyway, a lot of times I'll start writing songs that are that. You know, that are, that's what I really like listening mm. to. And I'm like, well, I'm going to have to shove this into the opening on the front of the old 97s machine. So yeah. is that going to work or do I need to swing it out a little? And mm-hmm. Anyway, but usually it's a line of lyrics that, that recommends, um, you know, kind of a, a, a sonic thing that happens. And, and then that needs more lyrics. And then, you know, there's, there's always a chorus. I find that as I get older, the big chorus, and maybe this is being more self self-conscious or self-aware mm-hmm. and less like having fewer accidents that happen as a result of n- not knowing what I'm doing. I guess now I know more what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> there was a thing you told me one time years ago that I think about all the time, 
um, and have quoted now to so many songwriters. Um, if I'm co-writing with people or listening to them talk about their own issues, I've probably even brought it up before in these interviews I do in Wheels Off. But you said that when you're writing a chorus, mm-hmm. when you get to the, the end of a line or especially the end of the chorus itself, you want a vowel sound, an open, <laughs> an open mouth sound so that you can stack up harmonies that are all going oh or ah mm-hmm. and um and it was just there was something so you know utilitarian about that about that thought where it's like okay well i know that the message is important and the lyrics are important and what i'm trying to convey on a human level is important too but also don't don't give me a fucking consonant to end the chorus because i'm going to need you know, in your case, I've got, I'm going to have Nico Case going ah, and it's like, and and that's sort of the, and that's sort of the, the main hook of the most popular song of the last fifty years, "Hallelujah" by yeah. Leonard Cohen. Yeah, you don't really care for music, do you? You know, uh, "Hallelujah." Yes. Ah, you know, it's funny. I never start with lyrics. I never. In fact, for for me, the fight is just to find that one line that is like the anchor. Because, like, if you just have, like, a lot of, I'll have, like, vocal sounds and the melodies and the chords, but if you can't find, like, the line that anchors it, it just seems like a bunch of bullshit. It just seems like a bunch of words. And I could write 10 pages of lyrics and think, well, these are good, but it's like, but where does it, what, what, what good is it if I can't find where it sits? So this is something that doesn't come up enough, I feel like, in these conversations, and I'm glad that you took us here. I feel like in every song I really love or every song I think is like a truly great song, like um, uh, uh, Sunday Morning Coming Down, um, Chris Christopherson, uh, and he he gets to the chorus and he uh, he says, um, Lord, I'm wishing I was stoned. Uh, There's there's a movement to the the D flat minor in... um, uh, uh, What's the Bob Dylan song? You know, you can call out my name, gal, and I'm before. Um, don't think twice, it's don't all right. Don't think twice, it's all right. And then, you know, he goes to the D flat minor. There's like, there's a moment mm-hmm. where it goes, like the whole song has to be good. You mm-hmm. can't have bullshit. But good is, good is fine. Like a lot of people make good songs. But in those songs, there's always one moment, whether it's a switch to an unexpected chord at an unexpected time, mm-hmm. or whether it's a lyric that surprises you, not like a cloying twist, but like something that like really lands. Mm-hmm. But there's always a one moment that takes a song from being good to being transcendental. Mm-hmm. Like if you thought about, I mean, maybe that's what you're talking about. Like you have ten pages of lyrics, but you need that one thing, yeah, that you grab. And and sometimes I will, I will take the like I will write lyrics or and and write lyrics that I think work in the song and go here it is, and then I will sing them. And then I will just sit back and just try and like, and kind of forget what I wrote. Try not to even think about what I wrote and just listen to it back and go like, what jumps out? And sometimes it's just like, okay, that just sounds like gibberish. You can't even tell what I'm, you know. Yeah. Can't even tell what I'm saying. But then there'll be a line that's like, that that jumps out. And I'll go, okay, let's take that, you know, and okay, that's something. We've got that line. Yeah. And then you start asking yourself, how many lyrics does a song really need? That's huge. Like, like I was just listening to Fly Like an Eagle by Steve Miller. And I was like, it's just time keeps on slipping, slipping into the future. 
going to fly like an eagle into the sky, fly like an eagle, you and I fly like an eagle, blah, 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 fly like an eagle. That's like three quarters of the song. And I think we love it when Steve Miller does that. But I think a lot of songwriters are hesitant to do that. Just or have the have like the song doesn't have much in the way yeah. of lyrics. Same with ELO. Yeah, yeah. I I'll I love those songs, but I'll look at it and go, I would never write. You better slow down, sweet talking woman. It's so sad if that's the way it's over. Like I, I would think, oh, this is just bullshit. This is meaningless bullshit. It's like there's no sweet talking woman. It's like the song is a lie, but it doesn't. It shouldn't. It shouldn't matter because you're you're not. You know, I I feel like the the whole like the Dylans and Leonard Cohens have made made people feel like maximalism is yeah like better like there has to be something deep going on even though a lot of Dylan is just word salad even though a lot yeah. of the meaning is just put into his music by the listener not all of it but so it's uh that that's the part that just drives me to madness. But there's, I think about the minimalism of some of this stuff. And there was a moment when somebody pointed out to me, and since then I can't stop thinking about it. You know uh, Aretha Franklin's Respect. You know the, the big hook in that song where she spells out the word? Mm-hmm. One time. It happens one time. R-E-S-P-C-T. If I don't want to me, R-E-S-P-C-T. Take care, T-C-B. But That's it, it. But it sticks in your head. That's it. It's like three seconds and it's over. But it's like, what percentage of the pantheon of rock and roll is that three-second moment? Like, Jesus Christ. And it, if she had done it ten times, would we love that song like we do? Yeah. It's funny. There's another song. I mean, very different. But Baker, there's a line in Baker Street that uh, I absolutely love. And then it, for the longest time, I realized, oh, he only says it once. But to me, it seems like like the center, the absolute center of the song you know that line that's like, used to think that you would be happy a year or two and you will be happy. You're crying, you're crying now. And then, uh, in another, was it? Used to think that it was so easy. Used to think that it was so easy. You're trying, you're trying now. And then that, that part only happens once, but it's like, oh, that's, that's it? But it's it's yeah. like six in the six minutes of that song, that that part only happens once. But somehow, to me, it jumps out as yeah. Even though that song is like, I wonder, I wonder if there's a metaphor to be found here in terms of like you're mining. Like we we make all this stuff, and then maybe in the six minutes of that, there's you know three seconds of gold, mm-hmm. which makes all of it worthwhile. You know, it's another crazy thing about that song. It's almost all instrumental. It's like two minutes of vocals in six minutes. <laughs> the 70s. And it's such a brilliant, brilliant <laughs> song. Because think, it's got a killer guitar solo. It's got the iconic saxophone line. It's got, it's got the psychedelic intro in the middle section. It's like... Those are all rules that I would never break. And yet, they're all broken in that song and it works times a million. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's way too long to be a hit. So maybe, but it, maybe rules are bullshit. <laughs> yes, uh, I know. I've for me like for so long talking in the band about my songs. 
some of you would say, well, let's go back to the chorus. And I'd say, what? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> like, like which, which part do you think is the chorus? Like, I thought that was the bridge. We'd have to agree on the language. <laughs> it's like, let's call that part the pre-chorus and call it the chorus. And I go, pre-chorus? Okay, I thought it was the chorus, but... Well, I, I think the whole thing's the chorus. Why do we have to break it into pre-chorus and chorus? <laughs> those, you know. So, so for me, whenever I write, like in the last, in the last ten years, I've got to a point where sometimes I'm trying to write a simple direct song. Mm-hmm. Like on our new record, there's a song called "You Won't Need Those Where You're Going," and like I almost made it a cappella. But it's ba- it's basically just my vocal and it's a piano and maybe some atmospheric noise, and I did it just as a challenge. Like to me, it was like it was like challenging myself to go do five minutes of comedy at open mic night. It's like I've never I've never done this. Like like, am I afraid to do this? And and also just have a, a song where it's very. Like, where I, I was trying to write what I thought was something like a simple Dylan song, like Shelter in the Storm, mm-hmm. where it's just like, you write some lyrics and then it comes back to this line. Yeah. You write some lyrics and it comes back to this line. You write and then it comes back to the line. And then the song is over. And it's only like two minutes and 15 seconds long. And and I'm still, I still listen to it and I think, oh, should I have done this? <laughs> like, 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 should, even, even though at the time I was thinking, what if it was acapella? Now that would be a baller move. <laughs> you know, especially because I don't can, you know, I think Nico can pull off that stuff. Nico's got the voice where she can just sing by herself and people will be like, yes. I, I don't think I have that voice. Uh, not that it's terrible. Also, you know, I hate, I know I have a decent singing voice, but I don't want to listen to it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like I don't want to stare at myself in the mirror for a long period of time. It's, well, I think you have a great voice. I mean, it's but again, it's it's all tainted by like being in a band with Nico. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like it's like yeah, I've got a decent voice. Lots of people have decent voices, but I sing in a fucking I sing in a band with her, where like where I I might have a guide vocal on a song and think it's pretty good, and then she'll sing it, and it's like, well, it's a new song. Yeah, well, it's like all of a sudden my lyrics have more gravity to them uh-huh. like like the, this the song has more weight you know because this the singer is singing it and then on the other side of it there have been like you know being the band with dan behar who's one of those weird idiosyncratic singers and i think well sure i'm a good singer but i don't have that that weird you know yeah. idiosyncratic thing where he can he can kind of do whatever he wants he can like talk sing and just do his thing and that's not to me, I just feel like I'm more of a straightforward singer. So being in a band with these two singers that are great in these two very different ways is just I think it I think it keeps me grounded where I think, well, I'll just do what I do. Yeah. You know, it 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 makes you it makes you try and find your voice. I think it took me years and years. I feel like I'm still trying to find that comfortable comfortable place where um you just want your voice to sound good like like these days i find myself changing the melody just so it feels better i just started doing that recently too because i'll I'll see willie nelson do it and think like ah is he so bored or dylan of course is the great example of someone that's constantly doing that 
And then now I'll do it. I'm like, it's kind of fun. I like this. <laughs> I'm singing what would be the harmony just because, and it's like, it feels good. Like I, I did that on the, the first single we released on this record called um, Falling Down the Stairs of Your Smile. I, I re-sang. Um, I just re-sang and reworked the verse vocals just so I could deliver them better. Like, like I changed it because like, I just wanted... Because, you know, it's, it's the first line in the song, and I just yeah. wanted it to have this real confidence. Yeah. Like, 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 I just wanted it to, to, to just be smooth. And, yeah, you have to make that choice. Like, maybe what you thought was the melody, you have to just, you know, just sing it in a way so it just feels smooth. Just so I can go like, oh, yeah, the delivery. I really like the delivery. So I listened to that song, and I think I've never sang another pornographer song in that same way because i was just trying i was ignoring i was using parts of the melody but i was just trying to make something that sounded sounded good it's funny hearing you describe that and then hearing you describe like sitting back and listening to your lyrics as if they were someone else singing them and waiting for things to pop out um it just makes me think about like the importance of and how how good you are with this but the importance of instinct like isn't that our greatest uh, talent as musicians to not only have instinct but to trust those instincts and to let them guide us mm-hmm. right yeah and that you know that that is a that that is a big part of it and it's a big part of being in a band because <laughs> i think i think where bands go wrong is when like you especially when you're a songwriter is you have these other people telling you their opinions and sometimes those people are right yeah. and 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 realize and trying to figure out like am i right <laughs> or is this person right and and i think that's at some it's that's that's a game like i try to uh i try to be as open as possible which is hard though yeah like like going back to the song which was the first single from our last record falling down the stairs of your smile um it was other people around me that were telling me like, oh, this is this is my favorite song, and I was going, really? It's like I, I don't know. I'm I'm thinking I might have not even put it on the record. And, and Colin, <laughs> Colin, who was mixing it, was like, no, this is come on, you got to do it. Like, like it was the last one I sang, and he was like, he kept coming back to it. It's like, come on, you got to do that one. And I said, really, you like it? It's like, okay. And and that and that kind of affected my approach to the song. It's like, okay, you say it's you say it's good. You think it's one of the best ones? Okay. It's like I, I will. You know, and that and that's what made me think like, okay, you say it's one of the best ones. I was like, well, I, I got to nail the vocals here, because <laughs> yeah. you say it. But 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 there are other songs where somebody will say, oh, this is my favorite part in the song, and I will eventually go, no, <laughs> I I disagree with you. <laughs> like 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 I've listened to you, and I'm trying so hard to hear it the way you hear it, but I just don't. Have and, you been in bands with people that? always say no like it's like the the way it is now is the way it should be because change is scary and then you have to sort of battle against that i uh i really butted heads with the uh, the keyboard and guitar player in zampano mm-hmm. um like our last record it, it just got a there were some horrible there were some horrible situations the worst one was I wanted to try, there was a guitar line in the song, and I wanted to play it with, like, a different, a different way. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, 
it's like, hey, what if we made it swing a little more? Or like the accent was a different spot. And he was like, ah. it's like, okay. And he played it. And then I listened back and I went like, no. It's like the, the way it was is better. And then he went like, no. It's like we, we, it's like we did it your way. So he was keeping it. It's like, but the other way is the way you wanted. But, but, it, was, but, it, was like, but it was like he, he wanted to punish me for trying something. For, for trying, trying. It's like, if you're going to make yeah. me go through the effort of playing it, well, we're keeping it, and uh, but I mean, and, and it's not, it's not, not, not to dig at him. No. I mean, it's it's those things that you know. I think I I was difficult to be in the band with, and well, collaboration is is hard. Then the pornographers has always been really good in that. There's always been a, a level of um, like it's my it's my thing. Yeah, and when they were Dan Behar songs, I you know. I let him. I might have fierce opinions, um, but you know whatever he wanted, I would, I would say, okay, well, it's your song, and and he was also happy, you know, to let me just do my thing. You know, I think it helps when other people have outlets. You know, like like Nico's like, sure, what do you want me to do? It's like yeah. she, she doesn't have all her eggs in our basket. Like yeah. she's got her own thing, so I can tell her what to do, and she's not going to feel like, oh, this is. This is my creative outlet too. Yeah, I need to be heard, and so yeah, that's what saved me with the old ninety sevens. Was in two thousand, they they told me I could make solo records as well, mm-hmm. and so then I didn't have to live and die by them telling me no because they're they're just they're great at telling me no, mm-hmm. which is fine. That's what makes the old ninety seven sound what it is, yeah, or whatever. But if I didn't have those solo records, I would go crazy. I'd be like, bro, what am I supposed to do with all these songs you hate? You know, yeah. That's a, I, 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 it's funny, I've, I think I've given up on solo records. I've wondered about that. I didn't want to pressure you, but I, I really love your solo records, but I guess you don't feel like you have to do them because you get well, to do what you want with the pornographers. Well, it's hard for me to make records. It takes a long time. And the cold, hard facts of it are that like the last record sold so little that I just thought, I can't be wasting my time doing this. <laughs> ah! You know, and I and I know why I, I know why I made the last record. It was because it was right around the time, you know, my son was born, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to mess around being in the band. You know, I wanted I wanted to do something that was a little bit more low key. <clears throat> and then, but I came out the other side of that thinking, like, well, I should do. You know, and and I think I was a little bit more refreshed somehow. Yeah, like like I. Like, I feel like I kind of got that record out of my system, and then I could go on and just do the band. And now I feel happy being in the band, especially because the band can be whatever I want it to be, yeah. which, is, which is sort of, I mean, probably different from the old 97s. Like, yeah, very, like, very I, like, I, like cause I've got a lot, you know, I spend a lot of time these days <laughs> making demos, and I, I couldn't imagine somebody saying, like, no. <laughs> You know, like, like if, if that was going to have happened, it would have happened like 12 years ago yeah. when I started writing sad ballads, you yeah. know, and there, there probably were people who said like, why are there sad ballads on the pornographer's record? And so like, well, why not? Yeah. Because there can be. <laughs> oh my God. All this makes me so happy. Okay. I feel like we could do this again. Maybe we'll come back and do like a, a volume two in a couple of years and just see, you know, because then, then our kids are going to be older. Yes. We might actually even be older. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, it was fun. Good to hang out. Carl Newman.
All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard.